0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living. We are free. Of all men, the Bible says, we are the freest. But we want to use our freedom for the kingdom of God, not for our own sin. That's what vice is. A vice would be our sin, right? Like Miami Vice, right? Don't use your freedom for vice. Use your freedom to glorify God.
1: We have tremendous freedom in Christ. He does not demand that we live our lives by a certain set of rules. He wants us to live in His grace and in His forgiveness and ultimately in His freedom. But when we surrender our lives to Jesus, then even those freedoms become an opportunity to live for Him and shine as bright as we can for others in this dark world to see. Here's part two of our teaching out of 1 Peter 2, 11 through 25 with Robert Furrow.
0: God says, I am God and there is no one like me. God isn't running around trying to be like anybody. God doesn't go, I want to be like that movie star, I want to play golf like that guy, I want to play basketball like that guy. God is completely unique and God calls us to be separate, calls us to be holy, calls us to be complete in Christ calls us to be pure in righteousness by the blood of the lamb and the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. So he says here, he says there, be holy because God is holy without making any argument at all. Now he gives us another argument. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. And he doesn't give us a list of what fleshly lusts are because we already know what they are. We don't need people to tell us. I love in Galatians chapter 5, he says that. Now, the lusts of the flesh are evident, he says. We all know what they are. 99.999% of us do. But then there's that one in the thousand that goes, No, it's okay I get drunk. No, getting drunk is wrong. No, I can get drunk. I can have, I can have an affair. For everybody else, it's wrong, but for me, it's okay. I have heard every sin possible justified. Every sin possible. I spent twenty minutes with a guy trying to argue with me that it was okay for a single guy to fornicate. Going over all the passages that say flee fornication. <laughs> so why does it say flee fornication? He says, Well, it doesn't apply to young men. Really? <laughs> That's who it applies to. <laughs> First and foremost. That's why he's saying it. It's evident. In Galatians, Paul writes and he says, The lusts of the flesh are evident. And then just in case you might forget, he gives you a list, and it's a big, long list. Envy and malice and, and, and spite, it gets full of all kinds of things. Lewdness. We all know it's wrong. 99.999% of us know that as Christians, we're not supposed to cuss. Then every once in a while, you run into one Christian. It's all right for me to beep and beep and beep and cuss. We don't live in a PG world. We live in a bleeping, bleeping R-rated world. And we go, are you smoking crack? What are you high on? What Bible are you reading? Let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth, Ephesians says. Do you need more than that? Do you have liberty in that area that no one else has? And so you run into that over and over again. Now, the reason that he says abstain from fleshly lusts, he doesn't give us this list, but we know what they are. I don't need to go over it all, right? We know what they are. The reason we abstain from them is because they war against our soul. We're the ones that suffer. The Bible says, if you sow to the flesh from the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit from the spirit, you will reap life. The Bible says in Galatians chapter five, which is a great chapter that talks about the battle of the, over the flesh. It says, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't be loving and hating at the same time. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are the fruits of the Spirit. And if you're walking in self-control, then you're not gonna be out of control. So walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. One guy put it this way, get so busy doing the do's that you don't have time to do the don'ts. I don't know whether or not that's biblical. I don't know whether or not that works, but I like the idea of walking in the Spirit. Because the scripture says, that's the way I overcome the things of the flesh. I know when I try to fight the things of the flesh by fighting the things of the flesh, I'm usually not very good at it. Are you? When you go, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I struggle in this area. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to yell at the kids anymore. (gasps) Stop it! I'm trying to pray, right? It's just like, it just doesn't work. But when we walk in the spirit, then we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, he says here they war against your soul. That, that's one of the reasons God doesn't want you doing them because you are beloved. And when you are full of envy and spite and malice and fornication and lewdness, these things battle against your soul. So God says, I don't want you doing them. But that's not the only reason he doesn't want you doing them. He doesn't want you doing them because he doesn't want you having this corruption in your life. But also he says in verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Don't forget that we are supposed to live our lives out loud. That we have the role of being those that people see. The the average person in the world who doesn't know Christ is not going to walk through the doors of the church. They're not going to pick up their Bible tonight and read it. And if they do, if if a non-believer that doesn't really doesn't go to church and just lives in the world, the average worldly person, if they begin to read their Bible, they're only going to get through a couple chapters in Genesis and then finally put it down. If they got a lot of fortitude, they might make it to Leviticus and then they bail out. Done with this. A lot of Christians bail out at Leviticus when they're trying to read their, their way through the Bible. So you got people at work, at school, that will not read their Bible, but they'll read you. That's why Corinthians says you are a written epistle sent by God. God has written on your life and then he sends you out so you can make a difference. Let your your conduct be honorable among the Gentiles. Gentiles would be for us, it would be those who don't know Christ. So that when we say to them, hey, you want to come to church? When we're praying for them because of that distressed moment in their lives, when God's touching their heart, they would know that there's something that's different about us because of the way that we live. Now he says, having your conduct honorable among Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. A couple of different ideas there. Some believe that what he's saying is on the day of the visitation, when they have to stand before God as, a, as the judge, or when Jesus returns, They're going to glorify God because of your life. They're going to say they were right. The other idea is that maybe they would turn to God in the day of visitation. That when things get difficult and tough for them or their life comes to an end, that because of what they've seen in your life, the conduct that's honorable, they would come to Christ. And again, I'll appeal to you that we don't know what our lives are doing. We don't know what the work that we're doing. It may seem monotonous. It may seem ineffective, but we have no idea what God's doing God can take the smallest little thing and he can turn it around. He could take five five, uh, fish and a couple loaves of bread and he can feed 5,000 people with it. God can take the life of the least of the Christian and turn it around as you're living your life, doing whatever, thinking I'm doing nothing and no good for anybody. God could use it to bring many to Christ. He says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. The word submit, I have it underlined in my Bible because it kind of introduces a section here. And we are eventually going to get wives submit to your husbands. And we'll talk about that again, as I said, next week. But first of all, he says, submit yourselves to every ordinance. Uh, We don't like the word submit in general. If I walked up to you out of nowhere and said, submit, we wouldn't have a good conversation after that. We don't like that word. Remember, this Greek word isn't the word submit. It's a Greek word that we get submit from. He's simply saying to us that we need to put ourselves under the authority He says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to a king, a supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. He's saying God sets up governments so that you and I can live in peace and go about doing the work of the gospel. Everything is about what we're doing. Even the governments that are in place are about what we are doing. So we are to submit to the ordinances, listen to the governors, verse says in verse 15, for this is the will of God that you do good, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish man, that the people in their day, they were being maligned for all kinds of things. Nero had attacked Christians, the Roman elite who were immoral. Uh, incest was common among the the roman elite pedophile pedophiles were common among the roman elite they were gluttons they they were just full of all kinds of immorality and they claimed that christians were immoral because we approach the lord's table and talk about drinking his blood and eating his flesh so they called them the early christians cannibals and they said that they were having orgies at their love feast these romans that had You know, the elite Romans anyway, had orgies all the time. claimed that Christians did. And so Peter is saying, look, you're being maligned. Don't give them a reason to malign you further. But live your life in such a way that they will see that they're lies, that they don't stick. One guy said that don't give them a place to latch onto. Like a dog, you know, he'd have to chew his own tongue if he's going to grab onto you. He just can't do it. Don't give any place for those arrows to stick onto you by living your life in such a way. He says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. These are the guys that are making these accusations as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. We are free of all men. The Bible says we are the freest, but we want to use our freedom for the kingdom of God, not for our own sin. That's what vice is. A vice would be our sin, right? Like Miami vice, right? Don't use your freedom for vice. Use your freedom to glorify God. And then he kind of has a play on words here. He says in verse 16, As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bond servant to God. A bond servant is a servant that chooses to be a slave. The days that the New Testament was written in, slavery in the Roman Empire, one out of every four people were slaves in the Roman Empire. Peter's writing to these people in Asia Minor, which are under the Roman Empire. One out of every four that are reading this are slaves, maybe even more, because I think it's more likely that a slave would read this. You go back to a slavery in America and you find that even today, the gospel songs we sing are influenced by the songs that were written by slaves that had commitments to Christ during that time. So who would make themselves a bond slave? Who would be free and go, you know what, I think I'm I'm gonna be a slave. Well, it happened in the Roman empire all the time. When someone couldn't pay their bills, they couldn't file chapter 11. Or chapter 13, if you couldn't pay your bills, you went to debtor's prison. You could sell yourself as a slave and pay off your bills and not go to debtor's prison. So you're looking at debtor's prison or you're looking at being a servant. So you might know someone and say, listen, I'll become your slave. Just pay off my debt. They would pay off your debt and you would be a bond servant by choice. Maybe you were already a servant and in Israel, every seven years you got set free, but you had a family. Your family wasn't set free because they hadn't gone seven years yet. And so they had to wait for the next seven year to come around. So it could be a total of 14 years if they're born right after the seven year By a time for someone set free. And so you realize my wife is still going to be in slavery. I'm free. My wife and my kids are in slavery. So you might decide to stay there for that, the sake of your children. Also that not all slave owners were evil people. Some of them treated their people good. And so it happened in history that a servant would say, you know what? I want to stay. I don't want to go free. I'll stay and I'll, I'll be your servant. So they would take him to the door of their house. They would drive an awl through his ear and that would allow him then to be a bond servant. So he's saying, you're free, but don't use your freedom for vice. And Paul later on would say, don't use your liberty for sin, but instead make yourself a bond servant to Christ. Take your freedom and say, here it is, God, I'm yours. And I am now a servant because of you. Then he gives into this little uh, verse 17, which is a great verse. It's a kind of a little rapid fire section. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Those are good things. Honor all people. Hey, treat all people well. Honor all people. As a Christian, you want your you want your conduct to be honorable in front of all Gentiles. Then honor all people. Stop beating on your steering wheel and turning red face when someone cuts you off. Just slow down and let them in. It won't kill you. I promise. I promise. You know, if they cut you off and slow down, don't scream and holler and yell at them. And if I cut you off, yeah, be nice. (laughs) Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Hey, the brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. We're to have close relationships with others that love the Lord. If you don't, may God open up those opportunities for you to meet others and be there for them. Fear God. Again, God is indeed terrifying. If you don't think God is terrifying, then you don't know the one true living God. He's tender and he's merciful, and anyone who humbles themselves before him, he will be merciful too. But if you're not, then it is a horrible thing, Hebrews says, to fall into the hands of an angry God because he is terrifying. Fear God and honor the king. Well, we don't have a king to honor. So that would need to read honor the president. <laughs> Why? I didn't say anything. Maybe a little convicting, huh? Honor the king. God's put all of these things in place that we would have peace, that we would be able to do the work that God has called us to do. For this is commendable, it says in verse 19, excuse me, verse 18. Servants be submissive to your masters. Now he, he continues on the idea of submission, Be submissive to the authorities and to the laws that are among you because they're given there for your peace. You're going to be able to do the work. But now he says, slaves, be submissive to your masters. Why didn't he say slaves rebel? Slaves no longer be slaves. Slavery is evil. Slavery is immoral. Slavery is immoral. It's wrong. In 1865, they finally, the Congress, the House, the Senate finally voted that it was illegal to own slaves. Took a whole lot longer for things to change in America than just that law that changed. But do you know before that, it took hundreds of years of, of abolition, abolitionists that fought to abolish slavery for hundreds of years? And do you know that if you took a poll in the early 1800s before the Civil War, that about 50% of Americans, maybe even more, thought that slavery was okay? But slavery would be outlawed because slavery was wrong. And so it would eventually be outlawed. But when people came to Christ in the Roman Empire, where one out of every four were slaves, when they became slaves, God was calling them as slaves now to live for him. He wasn't calling them to rebel and do away with slavery. He was calling them as slaves that they would live for him as slaves, that their masters might even come to Christ. Later on, and we're going to get there not too long from now, we'll get to the book of Philemon. And Philemon is a slave, a runaway slave. And he runs to Paul. And Paul knows his master, who he ran away from. And when Philemon shows up, he gets saved. Of course, he hangs out with Paul. He got saved. And so Paul writes back to Onsiphorus and says, hey, buddy, you owe me. So when, when Philemon shows up, and Philemon showed up with a letter, showed up at the house as a runaway slave and gave the letter to him. And he took the letter and he opened it up and said, you know, Philemon has become my brother and you better be nice to him. You don't have to be, but you owe me and I'd be really grateful if you'd send him back. (laughs) So Paul in essence says, I'm sending him back to you and I want you to remember that you owe me for whatever reason. And we're not told in the letter what he owes Paul or how he owes Paul. But Paul in essence says, I want you to set him free and send him back. God's heart would of course be that all men would be free. But in whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in, free or slave, that in all those circumstances, you glorify God. You may be in a, employment that is less than ideal and you feel like it gives you the right to behave poorly because they're just not treating you right they're just not paying you fairly they just aren't doing what they need to be doing what's right to do and maybe if everybody knew they would agree with you but if you live for christ in the midst of that then people will see that and be drawn to christ that's what he's saying he says for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults <laughs> what a statement that is and you take it patiently he says, what do you get? What do you get if you're being beaten? Cause you blew it. Now you're being beaten. You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. God will honor you when you suffer for doing good. And then he says, because this is what Christ did for to this, you were called, called to suffer, called to suffer when we didn't do anything. Well, yeah. Isn't that what Jesus already said? Blessed are you who are persecuted for my sake, for yours is the kingdom of God. For to this you're called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Christ suffered and we should follow in his footsteps. When people mistreat us, we ought to try to find a way to really shine for Christ in the midst of it. People mistreat us today and we say, oh no, you didn't. (laughs) Right? He says in verse 22, Who committed no sin, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. You know, we've committed sin. We have deceit in our mouth. Jesus had none. It says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When they drove the nails through his hands, and they spit at him, and they yelled at him, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. He didn't threaten them, and he could have. He told Peter, Put your sword away, Peter. I could call a legion of angels right now. Had he lost his mind for just a moment on the cross, he could have said, all right, angels, let's go. Could have took care of everybody that was there, all the Romans and all of the Jewish leaders that had handed him over, but he didn't. He did not threaten, middle of verse 23, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sin might live for righteousness. He's still talking about conduct. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He died on that tree that we might live in righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. It is by the stripes that Jesus bore, the scourging that we're healed. Not everybody is healed. Back in the 70s, there were a group of guys that began to teach that God heals everybody. And if you're not healed, there's sin in your life. Interesting thing is is that most of those guys are dead because they died to something. If the Lord tarries, everybody's going to die. So that teaching falls apart sooner or later. And if you think it through, you'd go, oh, yeah, people eventually die. And I don't know that I want to be 110 anyway. I think I probably want to go before I'm 110. I want something to get me at some point. But when someone who's in the faith dies they're healed ultimately. They're healed when they're in the presence of the Lord because there's no more sick and there's no more lame and there's no more deaf in heaven. It's all, it's healed. And life is, is just fleeting anyway. Life is here one moment's it gone the next. If you don't believe that, if you're younger, you probably don't believe it. Life seems so long, but just look around at all us old folks and we're nodding our head. Yeah. I was young yesterday. <laughs> The day before yesterday, I was a kid. <laughs> it just goes so fast. Life is life is fleeting. Solomon wrote it in Ecclesiastes about how fast life goes by. And just said, then serve God. Day by day serve him, because life goes by so quick. He says, verse 24 Who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin might live for righteousness, and by his stripes were healed. For you were like sheep having gone astray, but now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. Jesus is the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Remember this section started off with him saying not to fall into these fleshly lusts because they war against our souls. He's the overseer and he's the shepherd of our soul. And we need one who will eventually usher us into eternity. Close your Bibles with me. Let's stand for a minute. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you as we look at this section in First Peter on conduct, Christian, the Christian's conduct, and we want people in our lives to be one to you without a word. We want our lives to be lived in such a way that people can see in us Christ, the hope of glory, without us saying anything. And then when we begin to speak, the words that we say will mean something. We pray that that would be the case. I also pray for those who are here today who don't know you. I pray that they would, by faith, call out to you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And his word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. PCLAZ.org. That's PCLAZ.org, where you can make a secure one time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a recurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life, or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at Saved at and don't forget to follow us on social media. Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.